welcome call. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Parkinson's Recovery Radio Network. I am your host, Robert Rogers. I'm the founder of Parkinson's Recovery in 2004. We are dedicated to provide information, support, and resources to individuals currently diagnosed with neurological challenges and also more specifically Parkinson's disease. I am really excited to introduce my guest today, Carl Sterling. Carl is, and hold on to your seats, he is a neuro-rehabilitation specialist. Now, it doesn't get better than that. And so what I'd like to do is to be able to bring Carl here into our session and say, first of all, to Carl, thank you so much for taking the time to be a guest on the radio show today. Oh, Dr. Rogers, it's absolutely my pleasure. Um, thank you for having me. This is a real honor. I've been listening to you for years, and I love your program. <laughs> thank you, Carl. Well, that makes my day, I have to say. So tell us all about yourself. All right. Well, here we uh, here we go. <laughs> so uh, this is in my first book. I've released two books. The first one was Parkinson's Regeneration Training. The name of that came about by a program I wrote years ago to regenerate quality of life and movement for people with Parkinson's. But it doesn't stop there, and we'll talk about that more throughout the show. It's really for anybody who's challenged in movement, whether they have neurological disorder or uh, movement disorder or not. But the bottom line is in the first book, I kind of talk about my history, which was starting at age 14, I went into the music world as a professional, and I worked in at 35 years full-time as a drummer. That was my living. Uh, The really abbreviated version of this is – I was in bars and clubs and theaters and all kinds. I was on the road and I traveled and I ate too much and I consumed too much and I got, I was very, very overweight, very obese, and I needed help because I was having major health problems. So uh, just as I tell you about this, this basically leans, uh, takes you in the pathway to how I got to what I do now with people with Parkinson's. I got a trainer who's also a really great dietitian. He helped me. I lost 70 pounds in a year and some more weight after that. And during that process, you know, I was also not really happy in the music business. I was burned out. And I wanted to do something I felt could help people. I thought, what better than to help people to feel as good as I feel now compared to a year ago when I weighed, you know, 70 pounds more. So I became a trainer, uh, then a master trainer with National Kennedy of Sports Medicine, uh, went back to school after two years of personal training people, mostly for weight loss, and I enjoyed it, but I wanted to do more. I went back to school at Syracuse University and did the nutrition program. In my first semester there, which is it's going to be 10 years this year, I, my economics professor, Dr. Jerry Ivensky, an amazing person who, well, I'm kind of a slow learner. So, I mean, I really needed a lot of help, and I went to his uh, support classes all the time with his aides. And, but anyways, I would ask him questions. You know, well, what do you do, he says, you know. Uh, you know, I work at the gym, and I do this. And he says, well, I have Parkinson's. He says, my doctor told me I'm losing some bone density, especially in my right hip. And he said, you need to lift weights and do some other things. 
get a trainer. So he says to me, will you train me? Well, yeah. I acted excited even though I was petrified because I knew nothing about Parkinson's. Uh, Fast forward to that night, I called up my son who happened to be doing his Ph.D. Uh, He's an M.D., so I'm totally bragging for one moment. He's an M.D., Ph.D., but his Ph.D. at the time was uh, had to do with Parkinson's. Not an exercise or movement or fall reduction, but I said, Nick, you know, what, who do I talk to? What do I do? I, I got a guy with Parkinson's. I want to help him. I don't want to hurt him. And his, my son's mentor, uh, Dr. Shumei Wong, is an amazing lady, neurologist. She helped me. She pointed me in the right direction. Ever since then, I have been completely consumed with helping people with Parkinson's. And basically, it's led me to, I have a clinic now, a movement disorders clinic that I run here in Syracuse, New York, in a medical facility, and we work with a lot of different, you know, not just Parkinson's, but any kind of neurological or movement disorder or anyone who just has challenges with movement. Also, cognition and memory, we do a lot with that, too. Because we want to basically retrain the brain to help us move better, think better, and improve quality of life. So that's my story. (laughs) <laughs> it's been a great journey. I love what I do. Carl, you have a couple of books. Tell us all about them. Well, the first one was released in June of 2020. It's called Parkinson's Regeneration Training. It took about three years to write because just it's a big book. It has a lot of information. Uh, it's based on the course that I wrote seven years ago that I started traveling and teaching. I've been very fortunate. I've traveled all over the world many times and taught in many, many, many countries multiple times because the course kind of took off and became, I, I'm not going to say popular, but it, there was a demand for it because it offers something different than you would typically find. And that is uh, really the book is about improving movement, cognition, and quality of life. Um, but the techniques that we go about uh, using and the strategies, they're not so traditional. And so that's the first book. The second book is a much smaller book that came out about four months, three months ago called Parkinson's Empowerment Training. It's an extension of the first book. But this goes into uh, and then all the chapters are very succinct and short. The power of hope and empower of belief and how hope and belief when you discover that you can do something that you didn't think you could do again, when you regain an ability, even partially, this can empower people. And I think there's probably nothing more powerful than finding hope and realizing, you know, I can do this. I just never knew how I could regain this ability. It could be something as simple as rolling over in bed. Uh, We talk in detail, and all this is cited with research from a lot lot from Stanford and Harvard and and some other places, about the job of the brain and the nervous system. We talk about maximizing neuroplasticity and how we can break it down into a two-step process um, it doesn't mean it's easy, but it's a simple two-step process to help retrain the brain to develop new neural pathways to entrain ourselves to develop the ability to walk better again or to 
improved memory or cognition or reaction time. We talk about the many roles of dopamine because dopamine is such an interesting neurochemical. Let's talk about managing sleep. There's a chapter not written by me, but by Dr. Cynthia Lopez about uh, the importance of nutrition in Parkinson's disease. And then vibration therapy, whole body vibration and segmental vibration, which is very interesting. And then improving cognition, memory, and movement is another chapter in addition to the last chapter, which is um, just a, a paragraph or two about all the unique and highly effective tools that we like to use in my clinic. We're always discovering new things, too, um, just to help people to move better, live better, think better. That, that's the summary of the two books in a nutshell. You mentioned the importance of a person holding hope now, you've seen many individuals who have neurological challenges and Parkinson's disease in particular. So a lot of people think, well, this is degenerative. I'm really never going to get better, so let's just give up hope. Have you seen anybody in your clinic that actually has been able to improve their mobility and get better? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, yes. Now, when I say that, I say it because I'm excited to say yes. It doesn't mean everybody does. And there are many reasons why some people won't. Sometimes it's the lack of willpower. It's the lack of frequency showing up. And I don't want to go off on a, a, a tangent, but let me just say when it comes to roles of dopamine, um, I say this with respect, not to demean anybody, um, but to find a person with Parkinson's who just wants to sit on the couch is not uncommon. Because dopamine is something that drives us. It's not just a neurochemical that our brain sends through our body to tell our body what to do. Like, you know, if you have akinesia and you're standing there and you know you want to take that, but you can't seem to get to it, you might have to trick yourself into it somehow with a visual aid or counting or just step sideways or whatever. But dopamine helps you to move better. Dopamine helps you to get a degree, an award, finish a marathon, you know, just anything. So it's a driver. And if we're lacking dopamine, a lot of times the drive to do things diminishes. So this can also uh, affect a person's amount of hope, level of hope, I should say, and, and maybe how frequently they'll show up in my clinic, although we only have two right now who don't show up when they should. Um, most of the others show up because they're committed, and they understand after doing this long enough, they get started moving, and then they get the energy to keep going. And that's usually the biggest battle is let's get started. Just get started, and you'll get the energy to keep going. So this can lead to, uh, well, with all the different things we do in here to help, um, and everyone's uniquely affected differently by Parkinson's. So, I mean, but there are certain things that tend to work really well uh, with gait and visual aids and vibration ther therapy, but when people start to improve even a little bit, maybe it's reciprocal arm swing or stride length or both is improved or increased or velocity increases or posture is improved. We use a laser system for the posture, which is really cool, and uh, that gives them immediate visual feedback. Uh, there's a long, long, long-winded way of coming back around, though, and saying it's very complicated, yet it 
some of the things are really simple because all we need to do is just get them somebody moving, get them doing something a little bit better that they want to do better. Then they start to see possibility. And I've, I've seen it in the clinic here a number of times. We have people who've been coming here for years. Um, and in my travels, I've seen some really interesting things too. Um, I mean, I could talk about it all day, but I, I don't want to overstay my welcome on any subject. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I mean, I do have a, I do have a story. If you want, I'll tell you one story. If you don't mind, this is literally like a one-minute deal. Please do. Uh, a wonderful lady, who at the time, four years ago in April, um, Angelus. Diagnosed with Parkinson's in her late 20s. Um, She's 42 when I met her. So she's meeting me 46 now. Um, I was in Mexico, teaching in Monterey, Mexico. And after, I was the keynote speaker, whatever. So I did my 90-minute thing. Right after that, immediately after was a workout with me. And I have to be honest with you, I had no idea what I was going to do. Because... I just ran off the stage. I went and I changed out of my suit and tie. I got on my other clothes and came back in. And the translator's with me. And there were about 50 people ready to work out. And i thinking, what am I going to do? And so I said, well, what, what do you want to do? What, what's a, let's say you take me through your day. What's the first challenge of the day? And you know how many hands came up and said, you know, in, in Spanish they're talking, but it doesn't matter. When we wake up, our biggest challenge is getting out of bed, and for some it was rolling over in bed. And right then I decided, okay, we're doing the floor is our work. The floor is our friend workout. A lot of people are afraid of the floor. For right, right, you know, rightly so. If they fall down, I mean, the floor, if you get injured, you might be afraid of hitting the floor. But if you're not injured, though, and you're on the floor, the floor can be your friend because you can start to learn how to navigate back to safety. So Angelus is up in the corner in front with her husband and her beautiful daughter. Um, and I look over and she's crying. And I, I didn't know much Spanish at the time, and I, but I went over and said, that's not bien, como esta, that's not bien. Si, si, gracias, gracias, estoy muy bien. Oh, good. Why are you crying? Well, as it turns out, when we, told, we were teaching people how to roll over, front to back, back to front, both directions. I learned that she had been, by choice, she admits, mostly bedridden for one year prior because she didn't believe she could do anything. She came in standoffish, didn't want to see me, hear me, do anything with me, but her husband made her do it, thankfully. And when she rolled over by herself, it was the first time she had rolled over without assistance in five years so basically what happened is we took a person who was hopeless and felt defeated, and we, we turned. I didn't do anything. I told her how to do something. She put in the work. She immediately became optimistic and completely unstoppable. And to this day, she's back to work. She's a, 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 a teacher in a school system. She runs. She's. I, we, I was hiking Mount Topo Chico with her what a year ago, and she beat me up the mountain. I mean, this is. So when we talk about hope, how it can empower, that's my favorite story. It's amazing. Because she believed what that I can beautiful. roll over so I can do other things. You know. Yeah. <laughs> right. 
What a beautiful story, uh, Carl. So you mentioned there's a two-step process to retrain the brain. I assume you have to take the first step before you take the second step. Well, what is the first step? Okay, and I just want to uh, give credit where credit is due. This comes 100% direct from the research cited by Dr. Andrew Huberman, who is an ophthalmologist and a neuro... Um, neurobiologist professor at Stanford University, and he has a wonderful podcast, um, Dr. Andrew Huberman. It's a, the two-step process is this. This is in my uh, second book, broken down real succinctly. The first step is, first thing I think is to understand, and I'm probably I'm sure a lot of people know what neuroplasticity is, but just in case anyone doesn't know, neuroplasticity is the ability of the brain to change, to change itself and to adapt itself as needed. Okay, what would that mean? Okay, well, if you want to learn anything, if I want to learn a new language or learn an instrument, want to learn how to walk better or attain any kind of new ability or skill, if I need to learn it, well, my brain is actually involved in this. I mean, it's the brain that's doing the learning. So the brain will develop what we call new neural firing pathways. Brain cells have synapses that happen between them. And these take the, uh, it's in the first book I wrote. Uh, Riding a bicycle is a great example. When you're learning to ride, um, you're wobbly and, you know, and fall down maybe. And I remember holding the bike for my kids and pushing them and and both of them learn very quickly. And I just remember when I pushed them off and then they were pedaling and balancing on their own and they didn't even know I let go yet. Well, they were on their own now for the first time. They didn't need me. They didn't even know that their brain learned how to do it until a couple of times later they looked back and, Daddy, what would you let me go for? Well, you're riding by on your own. And that was the beginning. And then they just got better and better. So what happened during that learning process, as happens with any learning process, is these neural uh, synaptic firing patterns happen between neurons, and then they develop um, connections between neurons. And that creates this, you know, how many millions or billions, and this web of new firing patterns. So they say, as like Dr. Norman Deutsch and Dr. John Rady out of Harvard, they, he talks about neurons that fire together wire together and when they wire together well you're solid like you i'm two-thirds fluent in spanish now probably that's because i've been practicing a lot and it's just second nature a lot of things i say in spanish now are second nature just like everything i say in english i don't really have to think that much about it um i mean i do think about it especially right now as i'm on the radio (laughs) But I choose the best word to be succinct, but it's all a learning process. So have you ever had, uh, and I'm going to get into the two steps in one second. You stop riding your bike for a couple of years, and then, you know, that exciting, like, it's, oh, it's just like riding a bike. You'll get back on and you'll go. Well, sure enough, you get back on your bike after not riding for a while. You might be rusty, but providing it hasn't been too long, you know, too many decades or you 
God forbid there was some kind of a TBI or a, a stroke or brain damage, you should have those firing patterns still in place. They're a little rusty, but you get on the bike, and five or ten minutes later, you're smooth, and it's good, right? So it's just like riding a bike. You fired up the old rusty neural firing pattern pathways, and bingo, you're off and running again. Well, that is, that's because while you're in the learning process, step one is to maximize, especially as we're getting older. I'm 61 almost. So over the age of 25, approximately, it's two steps. Hyper-focus on whatever it is you're trying to learn. I promise this will be short. What happens during that is there's a neurochemical called norepinephrine that is released during the learning event, whether it's 30 seconds, a minute, two minutes, five minutes, or sets of, you know, 30 on, 30 off, 60 on. It could be 20 minutes straight. It doesn't matter. Whenever you're learning, norepinephrine is, is, is released. That's going to be the chemical that's going to make you feel fatigue. But if you can focus through that fatigue to the best of your ability and then stop when you need, take a break, then do it again, you'll, you'll feel that agitation maybe. Uh, one way to get through that, I'd say, as Dr. Huberman does, is attach a reward to it, like, hey, this is me learning Spanish. This is me becoming uh, more conversational with people who don't speak English but speak only Spanish. This is me moving better. This is me getting better, improving myself. Whatever it is you're learning, movement, language, any skill. So step one is hyper-focus. Pay attention. Try not to be distracted. You're also going to have another chemical released during this called acetylcholine. Acetylcholine goes to where the synaptic firing patterns are happening, it attaches itself there. And then during sleep, which is step two, becomes the healing process. The neural connections are more, let's say they're, uh, they're built during healing, or I say, say sleeping because you're resting. The acetylcholine is the molecule or the neurochemical that is aiding the the uh, uh, formation of the connections while you're sleeping. So that's it. Oh, you know, I have two granddaughters. One is 14 months and one is nine months. And, you know, they're just picking up things left and right and learning. But mere exposure alone when we're very young, we're just going to learn stuff. We're going to pick things up quicker. As we get older, the brain is wired a certain way, and we need to hyper-focus in step one and then rest. So getting enough sleep, very, very important for neuroplasticity. Amongst other things, actually. Sleep is so important for longevity. And uh, Matthew Walker, Dr. Walker, wrote a beautiful book called Why We Sleep, one of my favorite books about sleep. I highly advise everybody reading that. So that's step one. What's step two? Well, the step one is that hyper-focus, but sleep is step two. Ah, got it. Yep. So one of, one of the topics that we uh, promised that you would be able to discuss is how to maximize neuroplasticity. Yes, exactly. So this is sort of a summary of, of what I was talking about is 
maximizing it, especially over the age 25, because our brain is structured, you know, a certain way when we get older, and it it becomes more difficult to learn, typically. Maximizing neuroplasticity means that whatever you're doing, hyper-focus, pay attention, focus, 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 whatever the length of time is, whether it's 30 seconds, a minute, five minutes, and then sleep will be step two. And that sleep, like I said before, it's very important. So hyper-focus, pay attention, don't get distracted on whatever you're trying to learn, sleep. It doesn't have to be right after because it's going to happen when you're sleeping at night. But that's when the that's when the strengthening of the pathways occurs. Some members of my audience report to me that they truly struggle with sleep at night. They wake up multiple times. They don't seem to be able to move into that deep state of sleep. That's the healing state. What would you make uh, a suggestion to them about how they can maintain better sleep? Oh, okay. Um, this is really interesting. This is uh, another chapter in the new book. By the way, the books are available on Amazon, and the prices have been lowered. Um, the first book, Parkinson's Regeneration Training, is $14.99. It's a big book, and it comes with a support website with all kinds of videos and uh, things you can do with practice, you know, instructions, uh, short videos with demonstrations of movement and cognition and memory. Um, and the other book, the new one, Parkinson's Empowerment Training, is nine ninety nine. Just go to Amazon and type in Parkinson's Regeneration Training, Parkinson's Empowerment Trainer, or type in my name, Carl Sterling, Carl with a K. Um, the new book, Chapter 5, is about sleep. This comes from a combination of Dr. Huberman's lab and Walker, the work of Walker. We have a circadian rhythm. We all have our own. When you mess with it, it can mess with you back. You don't feel good. You don't feel right. You're not cognitively sharp as you want to be, for example. So, for example, uh, what, what both of them say in their research is, here's what to do. You wake up in the morning, and the first thing to set your circadian clock for the day is you want to go Outside, if possible, I mean, it's going to be negative 20 degrees here tomorrow, so I might not go outside. But go outside and look onto the horizon, or if you have buildings in front of you, look into the sky. Don't stare at the sun, but look into the sky, because natural light coming from above will come down and it hits the retinas, the bottom part of the retina, which is cellularly structured different than the top part of the retina. The retina, by the way, and the eyes are part of the brain. They're not only connected to it. They're part of it. So when it activates the retina, this natural light outdoors, not through a window, even for like one minute, exposure to light, look, in the, look at the sky. This is going to activate, cause the uh, cells in the bottom of the retina retina to activate your cortisol to give you some some uh, set up the clock your circadian clock for the day to keep you awake you know probably 14 to 17 hours depends on how long you sleep I guess okay so that gets you going in the day 
before sundown, no matter how early or late it is, you do the same thing. You want to go while it's still light outside. It could be a little bit dusk, but not dark. You need to have light, natural light from above. This is, again, this is Stanford University, and it's Dr. Walker, Dr. Huberman. This is their research. You want to go outside for a minute or two, look up, or allow light to come from above in the sky. Even if it's cloudy, it's fine. It's still natural light. Again, that light comes from above. It hits the bottom of the retina which triggers the melatonin process. Melatonin can naturally occur in your brain. It can be triggered by light before sleep. Okay, this is going to help us get to sleep more naturally. A naturally produced melatonin is going to be much better than a a supplement melatonin because that can cause some problems in other ways, which I can't talk about because I'm not, it's not a part of my scope of practice, but this this has helped many people we know to be able to start their wake process, their wake sleep process, and that's it. It's, it's actually that simple. The only other thing I would add, Dr. Rogers, is if you get up in the middle of the night for any reason, you know, go to the bathroom, whatever, try not to turn on a light from overhead because that might trigger your cortisol cycle and then you can't get back to sleep. With that said, we also want to make sure people are safe. So, I mean, we don't want people walking in the dark, and especially with Parkinson's and their higher fall risk, we don't want someone to fall down. But maybe a possibility is a semi-bright night light plugged in on a plug lower to the floor to illuminate the floor as an idea for safety. Safety first always, but if you can keep the lights dim, if you get up at 2 in the morning to go to the bathroom, that's probably going to save you from activating your cortisol and then keeping you awake. To clarify for members of the audience, uh, Carl Sterling's name is spelled as follow if you want to search on Amazon and purchase his books. Carl is spelled K as in Kellogg, A as in Apple, R as in Ready, L as in letter, and then his second name is Sterling, S as in Sally, T as in Tom, E as in Every, R as in Ready, L as in Letter, I as in Interest, N as in November, G as in Go, so Carl Sterling and then if you just say, I think, Parkinson's Regeneration, you'll bring up both of his books. So help Yeah, Parkinson's listen. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. So Actually, call help there's listener. a website they can go to. Yeah, I'm so sorry. There's a, a website they can go to which links to Amazon to both books, and including both books in Spanish and also the audio book for the first. They go to thepdbook.com. They can go right to Amazon from there. And if they're in another country, um, it should work too. So it's the, T-H-E-P-D, as in Parkinson's disease, book.com. No spaces, no capital, doesn't matter. Just thepdbook.com. And that makes it easy because they can read about both books there and then just link over to Amazon. So I'm sorry, I interrupted you. So Carl, 
persons that are listening to this program may really be interested in actually going to your clinic, which I understand is in Syracuse, New York. If, for an example, an individual is struggling with freezing episodes and they all of a sudden approach your clinic, what's going to happen with them on their first visit? Oh, good question. Um, the very first thing we're going to do, we want to watch people. We want to assess the level of freezing. Let's say it's akinesia. They stand up from a chair and they want to get moving, but they just can't make that first step. That's one kind of freezing. Another one might be they're walking, but maybe they encounter a threshold or a doorway or an obstacle uh, or a visual have a visual disturbance of some type where they freeze up because of whatever the reason is. could be different for different people. So we want to look at that. We want to try to determine what it is that makes them either not move or freeze once they're moving. We also want to, you know, we're right there with them. There are three of us here, well, two of us at most times. So we have people to make sure they don't fall because we don't want to push them and make sure we challenge them but keep them safe. Nobody ever falls here, I'm proud to say. Then we're going to go into some things like with some visual stimuli. For example, there's a 25-foot ladder on the floor. It's tape. I mean, it's not a – you run your feet across it. You don't feel any bumps. It's just tape. Sometimes the mere uh, visual uh, uh, stimuli of having a target in front of them. I call it target practice. We could use agility dots. We could use dots. We can use tape. We can use whatever and put it in front of them. If it's akinesia and I put them at the end of the ladder and they're stuck, usually if they if they have that visual in front of them, they'll see the first rung and they'll just step right on it. Um, if not, I'm going to throw down a dot. It's like a five- or six-inch dot, you know, very, very thin, goes on the floor. We've had some really, really interesting uh, situations and results with visual stimuli where when they have targets, they can step on each target, their stride, we'll put it where we think it should be lengthwise and widthwise, and watch them go through it. They might get to the end and keep going and be fine. They might get to the end, and all of a sudden their their walk, uh, let's say their gait, is all compromised immediately. So in that case, uh, we have a new device we use. Is it okay if I talk about a device on here and tell people about it? Of course. Yes, please. Please call. Okay. It's, it's, it's not a company I'm invested in at all. It's something that I purchased, the top-of-the-line thing, and uh, it's called Step and Connect. Just the way it sounds. You go to stepandconnect.com. So it's the word and, A-N-D, stepandconnect.com. They have a really great system. It's kind of like a yoga mat with Velcro strips going across it every six inches with foot pads of different textures, let's say different thicknesses, that have clickers in them. So we don't just have a visual stimuli of placing the foot pad where we think is ideal for them to start with their first step, but also when they step to that foot pad, when their heel hits, a clicker goes off, you hear click. And when they, uh, the toe goes down or the, the ball of the foot, another click happens. 
And what's really interesting about this is we've found that it's been highly effective. In fact, it's been the most effective thing I've ever seen in any of my travels to train for step length or maybe you're moving sideways, step, stepping sideways or doing a rotation because we know statistically that tr- uh, rotations can be a trigger for freezing of gait and, car- and Parkinson's. And if you're rotating while you're moving, and all of a sudden you free, your feet freeze, but your center of mass, your trunk passes over your feet. I mean, you could go down and you could get hurt. So we wanted to train for walking forward, walking sideways, moving backwards, uh, and rotating. And the combination of the visual and the audio and being able to, let's say by the clickers is the audio um, sensory input. We get so much sensory input, plus if they're barefoot, which is a whole other subject in my first book. Barefoot is highly beneficial because we can wake up those not dead but dormant nerves on the plantar skin on the bottom of the foot. Okay, plantar skin, that's the skin on the bottom of the foot. It also happens to be the skin on the body that's the most highly densely, uh, highly populated with small nerve sensory receptors and mechanoreceptors. And when we go barefoot, even if somebody doesn't like it, they should try it on a surface that's uh, maybe has a little texture to it, like a carpet or, you know, if you don't have a carpet, just do it on a wood floor or a tiled floor. But waking up those sensory receptors and mechanoreceptors sends immediate sensory input to your brain through your peripheral central nervous systems. This helps us to know better where we are in space because it's better input so we can, the brain sends out better output to help us stabilize better, faster, will be safer. So back to step and connect. We have the, uh, the, the, the pads, okay? They have texture. If we're doing this barefoot, they can feel the texture of the, and they're different textures, so it's very interesting. You feel the texture and the thickness of the pad when you step on it. You see it because you're looking at it, and you hear it because it clicks when you click on it. And this helps to, let's say, uh, uh, close, get closer to maximizing sensory input with three different things, audio, visual, and touch. And it helps to entrain the brain. And there's actually research coming out on this very soon to help the body and the brain to internalize the new step length that you're going to take. Now, this is going to happen in one hour or one session. This may take weeks or a couple months, but... We notice that people start to move better usually the first time at least a little bit because when they're off of that training mat, they have so much input that's gone into the brain. They've been entrained with all this input so that when they get off of the mat, the body and the brain remember better what optimal movement is like. And that was a really long answer. I'm sorry, Dr. Rogers, but... That's what you're going to get when you come in to work with us because we just want to make you move better, reduce fall risk, and improve memory and cognition. You discovered that whole body vibration is beneficial. Discuss that for the audience, if you would, please. Oh, sure, sure. Thank you. Uh, Again, I appreciate this opportunity so much to be with you. As you can tell, I love talking about this stuff. (laughs) So, <laughs> there's uh, information about 
uh, whole body vibration in my first book, but the second book has a chapter, chapter seven, devoted to benefits of whole body vibration. Um, I just want to make sure I don't miss anything here. In reference, well, whole body vibration and segmental information, um, I'm sorry, vibration. We use uh, um, exclusively here, and I'm I'm just saying this because the company's been so uh, supportive of the work we do. We exclusively use PowerPlate products. It's a company out of Chicago, PowerPlate, very, very globally uh, known. We use their whole body vibration platform. We also have a transportable personal PowerPlate we take for home visits. We also have smaller ones that are made for, you know, like a gun and a roller that are just segmental. The bottom line is when we're looking at a whole body vibration, if we're standing on a vibrating device, especially if it's barefoot, um, just some of the benefits include, well, there's studies on this too, and I didn't write this in the book um, in detail because I want to be succinct, but improved muscle strength, improved muscle power, improved flexibility and range of motion. This can also very much help to reduce pain and soreness post-workout, let's say. And, you know, we have some people with Parkinson's who are very athletic, and they're running half marathons and things, um, and they're pushing themselves, and they get on the vibration platform, and it helps for muscle recovery. It also can help with uh, bone mineral density and the prevention of, uh, let's say, bone loss or density loss. Uh, related to aging. It very much uh, helps with improve, improve, uh, improving circulation of venous return back to the heart. This is a really big one. Um, there's a lot of research to show that this uh, stimulation, uh, people with neuropathy oftentimes realize a diminished pain level in their feet from the neuropathy, whether it's peripheral, diabetic, or whatever, um, we, we're improving circulation. They're reducing pain. Uh, so the circulation back to the heart and to the brain is better. It's also really good for cardiovascular system and cardiorespiratory function. And it's really interesting because we, we have one of our therapists here who's, you know, very, very healthy and fit. And she'll get on our lateral rebound triple trampoline trainer and be jumping all around between three trampolines. They're all connected. It's an agility type thing, and we use it with everybody to, in some capacity. Ten minutes on that or ten minutes running on a treadmill, she might sweat some. Ten minutes on a power plate, she's sweating a lot because there's a lot of muscle contraction that goes into staying upright on a power plate. The other thing that's really cool is that it can very much help, and so can segmental vibration, can help to reduce or maybe eliminate temporarily I must add, certain symptoms of Parkinson's, for example, tremors, kinesia. Uh, rigidity is a big one, too. A lot of times people feel more flexible when they get off the power plate because whole body vibration because it's just been able to work on their system in a way where they are now less rigid. I think one of my favorite things, though, is to use one of the uh, smaller things to just hold it in their hands it's vibrating at like four different levels of vibration. We've had people who they'll buy them 
and maybe they want to go to dinner, but they're afraid of spilling food or drink on themselves, so they would tend to stay home instead of going out because they're self-conscious. But yet, if they hold on to this while somebody drives them to dinner, 10, 15, 20 minutes in the car, they hold on. By the time they get there, the tremors are usually diminished to the point where they're either gone for maybe half hour, 30 minutes. Everyone's different. Or they're diminished to the point where they're not going to spill drink or food. And, you know, quality of life is really important. For some people, socializing is important. And if you think about taking away the social aspect for people who like to socialize, if they pull away from socializing because they're embarrassed, how do you think they feel? How's their quality of life? They probably miss their friends. They might slip into depression. We know depression is the number one non-motor symptom of Parkinson's, so statistically, right? So if they could get back in, even if it's just for an hour, and enjoy time away, time out with people and not worry about spilling something, well, why not do it? Vibration's been a very effective tool in that regard. One of the topics that you cover in your marvelous two books happens to be ways to improve memory, which is a serious challenge for a number of individuals diagnosed with Parkinson's. What suggestion would you have for members of my audience for what, they, what step they might take to facilitate an improvement in their memory? Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Um, first of all, I'm going to cite the work of uh, Dr. John Rady. He's a best-selling author. I interviewed him on my series, actually, and you might want to get him on your show if you haven't already. He's great. But he talks about, he, he talks about benefits of exercise for the brain. Okay, so get get out and get moving first. Okay, because that's gonna that's gonna uh, cause the brain to release all kinds of neuro. We call it neurochemical soup here because it's kind of is you know the brain health and the brain derived neurotrophic factor that is created during exercise and when I say exercise it doesn't have to be super intense it could just be walking as fast as you can safely of course uh, ideally 20 minutes minimum about half an hour would be better you can stop and take a break for a minute or two and then get walking again but get the heart rate elevated and if you are not able to walk well, if you can move your arms, maybe you're shadow boxing, sitting down. I guarantee it's going to raise your heart rate. So getting oxygen and blood to the brain and also the elevated heart rate creating these neurochemicals that help us to have a better attention span. I mean, there are all kinds of research to show that we exercise before we learn. We usually learn things better. So that can help to improve memory. Um, I mean, I have real specific things. Um, I, I don't want to talk too long, though. Um, can I tell you another story real quick, I promise? Please do, Carl. <laughs> okay. I was a guest at a Maria, Maria Shriver luncheon just over four years ago. She, Her team invited me to come there, so I went, and it was really cool. Maria Shriver, a lot of people are probably familiar with her, she has, uh, from her journalism days, and um, she has a foundation, and 
uh, forget the name of it actually, but it's because her father, General Shriver, passed away from Alzheimer's. So there are a lot of benefits that are, that can occur for well for all humans. We all have nervous systems on the brain, so we're all going to benefit from anything that's in my books. Let me also say that these books are not just for people with Parkinson's. This is for anyone and everyone. We can all benefit. I do these exercises on a daily basis. Maybe not all of them, but I rotate. I have a history of Alzheimer's in my family. I have two EPO, two copies of the APOE4 gene. I don't want to get Alzheimer's. I will try to fend off the onset. I'm not afraid of getting anything. I just want to make sure I do what I can to take control to the best of my ability. Well, anyways, in the Shriver study that came out, I believe, four years ago, I forget how many people, but a few dozen people with early-stage Alzheimer's. And I've done this track in nine people in Mexico with Parkinson's, early-stage Parkinson's. Um, common symptom of both is cognitive decline and loss of sense of smell, Parkinson's and Alzheimer's. Okay, so in the Shriver study, they had however, however many people, six months, Five days a week cardio. After six months of five days a week of cardio, every single person had some degree of improved cognition and especially improved memory. Now, this is an Alzheimer's study. We know that this can be helpful for anyone and everyone. So get moving is the first thing. But we can practice things. We can practice. We have so many different types of memory, right? Um if we can make it fun, that's probably going to be good. Um, where I like to begin is to maybe ask somebody, you know, well, I have lists of words here. Uh, I have uh, these, these things where people will memorize words, maybe it's three to begin with, and then five minutes later, hey, what were those three words again? You know, they might get them out of order, but we're doing it. They'll add another word. And, you know, a month later, they might be up to 15, 20 words, but they're just, they're just ripping them off. I mean, so what we know is that those words that were short-term memory, they can become long-term memory, but we need to practice them. And this is where neuroplasticity comes in. And if you have somebody that you really want their phone number because you want to ask them out on a date or something or a job possibility or whatever, you're going to remember that phone number. You're going to focus and you're going to remember it. And then you might remember it 40 years later. I mean, I remember phone numbers from when I was, you know, 50, literally 45, 50 years ago because they were very important to me. But they were short-term memory at the time that became long-term because I ingrained them into my brain. We can do this with anything if we put in the work and the repetition and the practice. Uh, there's so many types of memory, right? Domains of cognition, for example, direct recall. We want to challenge the brain. Uh, and, it, you know, please, please forgive me if I'm off topic here. Did you want to know more uh, uh, memory, cognition, both? If you have a chance to elucidate the issues with cognition, that would be marvelous, Carl. Oh, sure. So so a lot of times what we'll have people doing is uh, some type of movement. 
All right. It could just be walking or it might be something very sophisticated. But while they're doing the movement, we want to have them do some kind of cognitive exercise because if they can do both at the same time, now you're going to see if they're moving and then they start thinking, they'll probably stop moving for a second. They'll say, no, 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 try to keep moving, try to keep moving. And then they're moving and then when they start, then they'll stop thinking as much. But if we keep cueing them, okay, try to keep moving while you're thinking and try to keep thinking while you're moving. We have many domains of cognition and memory. For example, direct recall. This would be something we just know. It's in our memory bank, like recite the alphabet, right? Recite it backwards. We have people who actually do that perfectly without ever having done it before. Some people don't do it, but we can work on it. Name a country. This is during some type of movement. Have them spell the name of the country. Maybe spell it backwards. Name a city. Name a movie. Name anything. Name your favorite musicians or bands or the musicians in certain bands. Spell their names. Tell us the history of the band while you're moving, doing this maybe hand-eye coordination during movement, whatever. We're trying to stack, start a movement, add on maybe hand-eye coordination or cognition, and then add on something else because this combination is going to help to improve multitasking abilities and reduce fall risks. Uh, I mean, we, we can go on and on and on with direct, it's called direct recall because these are things you just know. You know, what's the capital of New York? Albany. Spell Albany, A-L-B-N-A-Y. Spell it backwards. And so things like that. There's also, this, uh, for example, um, spatial or visual spatial type of memory. Maybe they're throwing punches on a bag or they're moving sideways over some hurdles. And I'd say, okay, uh, while you're moving, while you're punching, tell me how to get from here to your neurologist's office. And be detailed. Uh, you get in the car, you pull out of the parking lot, we turn right on Genesee Street, you go three blocks, turn left on, and take me to the neurologist's office. So the brain fires, a different part of the brain is going to fire with the spatial aspect, when you're thinking of space and moving through streets and blocks and all that, it's different than direct recall, like we were just talking about. We can also have uh, decision-making or reactive training. Oh, we, one of our favorite things we use here is uh, the A-CHAMPS, like letter A hyphen CHAMPS, a reactive training lighting system. These are lights that we can play games with and I can program them for, let's say, they're, maybe it's all hands or we have some mounted on a, a thing for hands or we have some on the floor. And we'll say, okay, um, right side red, left side green. So anytime you see a red light, you either step on it, right hand, right foot, left is. And we can add colors to it, too. There's eight colors on the thing. So it's decision-making. They have an assignment. The idea is to quickly, what, side, what do I hit with, right or left, and try to be as accurate as possible. It could be I'm saying when boxing, okay, right, right, left, left, and they're doing those punches. Or I reverse it and say whatever I say, you do the opposite. I say right, you hit left. I say left, you hit right. And we, have, we do a lot with boxing. It's very interesting. So those are different types of cognition. There are also many other types, too. I'm just giving you kind of a just an idea. 
Uh, problem solving is interesting. It could be we have an ob- we have some obstacles here, which they can decide. Do I go over, under it, around it, or through it? So they're using spatial along with decision making. It's kind of cool. Uh, as far as domains of memory, I mean, there's working memory, things like you know, starting off with four, five, six words. I've been through a lot of neurological studies as a control subject, and um, I, I love these tests and the exams they give me. It makes me feel good when I do them well and not so good, though, when I don't do them well, but it's fun. Uh, like I say, boat, grapefruit, hammer, apple, chisel. I'm going to be able to repeat any of those to me right now. I might remember the first one, boat. Maybe not. It doesn't matter. But we can give word lists then have them repeat them, repeat them, add another word list, repeat, repeat. This could be over an hour, over a week, over a month. And then I say, okay, giraffe, what list is that from? Oh, that's list number two. We'll repeat list number two. So it's really fun. We also have logical memory, um, episodic memory, an episode in your life, maybe a recent vacation, a wedding, uh, an event, a short-term memory. We like, like I, we kind of covered that perspective memory. Those are things like remembering to take your medications at night or morning or whatever, buying a gift for somebody's birthday, voting on election day, running specific errands, explicit memory, memory like Albany is the capital of New York, London is the capital of England. Uh, zebras are animals. I mean, it could be simple but it's a type of memory and it uses different types of these memories. Domains of memory use the brain uh, differently than each other, although there's some overlapping concepts and overlapping parts of the brain being used. Uh, implicit memory, let's say procedural learning. Um, uh, implicit memory will enable us, our prior experiences to improve performance of various tasks without our conscious or explicit awareness of the experience. It, it can be complicated, but it can be made fun. Priming memory. I had this earlier today. I was with a lady and I said, uh, what's, well, I was trying to think of what we were. Oh, what's the capital of Texas? I I think it's Dallas, but I know it's not Dallas. I said, yeah, I'm like, well, you know, it rhymes with Boston. Oh, Austin. So that's priming. You're not giving the answer, but you're priming them to remember because she actually knew it, but she didn't know. She, she didn't quite remember what it was, but a little primer helped. Autobiographical memory, telling about the birth of a child, a wedding, graduation day, or getting an award, or anything. Uh, flashbulb memory is kind of interesting. Uh, some of it can be great. Some of it's not so. Like, where were you in 9-11 when the plane said? Were you, were you when JFK was assassinated? Things like that. Uh, that's a flashbulb memory. I just have a couple more. Uh, procedural memory is interesting. Like, I don't think I said that one yet, but my son's a doctor. Emergency room. If you go in and you need stitches, he can tell you the procedure, right? So it's a procedure he does every single day, every single shift. So uh, we could go through that. I can tell you how to change the brakes on my car, right? It's a procedure. So, oh, there's so many different things. That's Those are uh, domains of memory and just a few domains of cognition. 
I could go on and on and on, but I don't want to take up too much of your time. <laughs> Carl, for people who would like to make an appointment and actually go to your clinic, how do they go about doing that? Uh, if it's okay, I'll just give out my phone number because it's open to the world. So, And we also do some virtual training as well. If anyone wants to do anything on Zoom or FaceTime, we do that. Um, I do it a lot for people in Mexico, South America, and parts of Europe, or they come into the clinic. Um, my phone number, so I'm in the United States, so I think it's 01 for the country code. And then it's area code 315-935-7488. So 315-935-7488. Text me. It's probably better than calling. And then I'll get your message, and then we can set up a call. So to summarize for members of my audience, first of all, you have two books you can purchase that are very affordable from Amazon that Carl has written. Second of all, if you are able to visit his clinic in Syracuse, New York, you are most invited to do that. And thirdly, uh, it sounds like you can also connect in with him uh, through a Zoom kind of a connection. So if you live in Europe or Asia, or other countries uh, other than close to uh, Syracuse, New York, you can also uh, be able to benefit from his wonderful expertise. So, Carl, as you think back on what we've discussed, for people who are thinking about, well, what was discussed in that interview that Robert had with Carl last week, what would you most like them to remember about our interview today? Okay, so what I always recommend, there are basically two uh, umbrellas that everything falls under. One is movement and one is thinking. I want people to challenge themselves to get up and get moving. It, it's just, it, I mean, you, ha you need to be safe. I mean, we know this, right? So let's just say you figured out how to move or walk or run safely. Do it. Just, I, I have my own saying, and here's what it is. Just get started, and you'll get the energy to keep going with whatever it is. And uh, actually, somebody else probably said it. I, I think William James or one of those people. But whoever it was, they're right. Like, I, I have a really funny example. If I just start doing my taxes, I'll get the energy to finish them in one day, and I'll give them to my accountant. And he'll do what he has to do with them, make adjustments or whatever. But I just need to get started. So whether it's movement or learning or whatever it is, but in this case, I want people to get up. I want them to get out. I want them to get moving to the best of their ability. And if you have questions on it, again, I probably should give you my email too in case anyone can't text. I use WhatsApp, so you can use WhatsApp to text me at the same number I just gave. Carl, K-A-R-L, at neuromotortraining.com. That's exactly how it sounds, neuro, N-E-U-R-O, motortraining.com. That's email. Get moving. The other one, challenge yourself. Challenge yourself with memory games, learning something. Uh, if you have a hobby, get engrossed into your hobby. I mean, some hobbies are expensive. 
But if you can, do it. If it's not expensive, it could be just word search puzzles, crossword puzzles. Read a book. Learn a language. Learn a musical instrument. Play games with people. Gamifying is so beneficial. But keep moving. Keep thinking and learning. Those are the two best, the, the two things I want everybody to do, no matter Parkinson's or not. Keep moving, keep thinking and learning. Carl Sterling, on behalf of the many thousands of listeners to Parkinson's Recovery Radio, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for taking the time to make this amazing and encouraging and spectacular presentation for my audience. Well, thank you so much, so much for this uh, opportunity. It's, it's an honor. It was an honor to receive your invitation. It's an honor to be here. And that's what's happening here, as you all guessed it, on the shores of the Puget Sound, where all the men are handsome, all the women are, of course, smart, and all of the children are profoundly loved. Know that by virtue of the fact that you have listened to this amazing interview with Carl Sterling, that you indeed are traveling down the road to recovery successfully. Thank you so much for joining us today on Parkinson's Recovery Radio. May your year prove to be spectacular. Good day. All right.